Hey, Tom Gaffey, welcome back to the stage at the Phoenix Theater. Jim, thank you very much. We have something of a super show tonight. Yeah, we really do. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's an incredible group of people here tonight. It's three people who are very active in the music world and have probably been playing music their entire lives. And at a certain point, they made their way through the Phoenix. Absolutely and, very um, active in the Sonoma County music scene, really, for quite a long time. I think we've got... Uh, Holy cow, maybe 30 or 40 or 50 years of musical experience right here at this table. And that's not counting you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, then we'd be into the hundreds oh, yeah, and we don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah. So first we have Sarah Sanger, who is in the band The New Trust, and who is also a photographer who has done a lot of great things in that realm as well. Absolutely. We say welcome, Sarah Sanger. Welcome, Sarah Hello. Sanger. We have Gabe Moline, who was most recently the editor of The Bohemian before no longer having that position. He has did also incredible work there. Incredible work there, and has also been a mainstay in the Sonoma County indie rock scene for a very long time, playing in such bands as Santiago, the Mr. T Experience, Tilt, Ground Round, and of course, my favorite, Milk Fat. <laughs> Gabe Moline, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hey, pleasure to Milk be here, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> And we have, my goodness, somebody I've never met before, but let me shake your hand, sir. We have Steve Choi, and he is in the RX Bandits. And he also spent a lot of time in this building at a different point in his life. Yes, yes, indeed. And Hello. so we say, welcome, Steve. Thank playing you with, much. actually, you know, but this would be the time to mention it, playing with one of my favorite bands. And I just re-realized that tonight. He was in the Blockheads, and uh, those guys were absolutely a hoot on this stage many times. Definitely. What a band. So, and I have to also say thank you to Gabe Moline, who was sort of the impromptu booker on this show. I said, Gabe, you should come on. And he's like, all right, I want to do this and this. And that is how we have this array of people on. So thank you very much, Gabe. Well, sure. I thought, you know, we're all kind of from different cities growing up or, or different eras or different scenes, you know. Um, Sarah and I are roughly the same age, but we were com from completely different scenes. And I didn't start hanging out with you until 2000 one or something you were a little bit more punk than i was yeah. now i'm a little more punk than you <laughs> You're, yeah yeah actually <laughs> and uh steve you know this is from the bv bennett valley <laughs> <laughs> and i played in the blockheads with him very briefly I, I think it's wonderful because I think outside of the scenario, we probably wouldn't have had you on, Steve. And I think it's really great to have you have your experience and have you on here. It's uh, awesome pleasure to be here, and it's I'm going to try and contain my gushing nostalgia and sentimental feelings at the moment because this is the first time I've been in here in a really long time. It's easier so, oh, over audio, back. but watching him wander around with his mouth open, it's really funny. <laughs> so, of course, you know, we say welcome to the show, guys. The thing that I wanted to start with is this place that we're at right now, the Phoenix Theater, is in addition to a concert venue, it's a nonprofit teen center. And a lot of people have come through here that have played on the stage that otherwise maybe wouldn't have had an opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. So it's cool having you guys on here uh, as people who probably grew up playing music. Though I saw Sarah, you kind of shake your head that maybe you didn't grow up playing music. No, I didn't start until very late, actually. In the scheme of things, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 25. You were mentioning before the show, and this is a point that I was thinking about before we started, was uh, how the intimidation of each other, because I, Gabe, I think you mentioned that you were maybe, she was too punk for you or something like that. No, I'm just or, you, scary. You were scary. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at the last record store and Sarah would come in and check uh, crop duster consignment. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. who is this bitchin' girl with black dreadlocks and a menacing glare? <laughs> Truly. And, uh, and, and those aren't bad us. things to me. But here's no. the thing. I didn't brush my hair for eight years, but I still thought you were too punk. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I probably thought I was too punk, too. Yeah, that's um, probably half of it. And then Steve was talking about watching what? Ground round? Ground round, round play. Round. Oh, yeah. A, a younger admirer when you're at that age, four years is much much oh, one bigger. Year is a lot. So yeah. Ground yeah. Round was your was your band at an earlier day. Ground Round was my band. We started in 1991, I believe. Yeah, what? but honest to God, it was like you and Adam and, and um, Josh and Josh. Yeah, well, you guys were all about 12 years old then, weren't you? Yeah, we, it probably seemed like it. You know, I left home when I was 16, and um, we all. Uh, yeah, Adam is just a very diminutive person anyway. Uh, 
and we just started going for it. I mean, nothing really got in our way. The fact that we like didn't have any equipment that worked or like didn't know any venue, uh, owners around the country. We were just like, we're going to put out records and we're going to tour and we're going to do what all our favorite bands have done. And we have no idea how to do it. So maybe you were too stupid to know that you couldn't do it. And then you did it. Yeah. That's the best way. Yeah. It is absolutely. That's the the thing that the internet has killed is, is the, the stupidity forward. Yeah. 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 But I mean, we need a little more life chucking. I think even as a young musician, uh, your horizons are so broad knowing that there's this international market or this YouTube market. I think back then it was your, your goals were one at a time. Play a show at the Phoenix. Yeah. That took a couple of years. Sometimes, yeah. you know? Indeed. <laughs> and so I think if you just, if you break off the chunks of goals as a young person one at a time, you get, I think you don't get as dismayed. Music can be a very depressing sport, but if you look towards that next thing, you little, know, and I think the internet makes the horizon too big. Yeah, it, it can, and that's a point to be said. When you're in a young band, uh, it does go show to show. Yeah. Uh, you spend, you play a show, and you get so high from that, and then it's oh my god, we gotta find another show. We gotta find another show. And when you get that other show, that's what you spend the next month looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it consumes you, and it gives you just an incredible goal to go for. Yeah, well, that's, and you know, you mentioned playing at the Phoenix the first time. That's an incredible goal. I, I don't know how easy it is these days. But supposed to be easy when, when well and it, it was really i think ground rounds third show ever was at the phoenix theater and i think you, it, you still have to get material you have to get material well we had you still have to be a band too much material yeah. we a probably name. played you have for, to name your band <laughs> played for an hour and a half and our first show at the phoenix heroes with legion of orb and the conspiracy oh, legion oh. Of orb. and it was uh ned's birthday show in the afternoon yeah and other people who've been on this podcast have talked about the electricity of playing your first show on the Phoenix stage after you've seen mm-hmm. such people as oh, yeah. Green Day or Primus mm-hmm. or whatever on that same stage and all of a sudden you're there. And then you do realize this is a big fucking stage. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. so much bigger than you imagine. And you're like, I have to move yeah. around this stage. Mm-hmm. And I am I'm never going to forget that day. And I'm also never going to forget that afterwards uh, Tom came up to me and said, man, you guys were great. You you're guys welcome were great. back anytime. Yeah. And that meant so much. And I hope that that continues to mean so much. I, I assume that it must. Here, you know, here. To, to generations whose horizons have been broadened by the internet. Mm-hmm. That the, the small, simple, special thing of playing on the Phoenix stage for the first time is still important to them. Yeah, and, you know, and those are still, I think, really my, most, my favorite shows. Uh, be, n- number one, because they're the easiest shows to do, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to throw anything at me at the end of the night or, you know, <laughs> through the show. Indeed. What was your sh- first show playing here, Steve? It was with the Blockheads. It was actually before I was officially in the band, but it, it was very much as Gabe described it. I mean, it was a magical thing for me being a kid. I was kind of estranged, aside from my own experience growing up in Santa Rosa. Basically, and you were really young when you started music. So this, yeah, and yeah. I first came here when I was fifteen. So it was very intimidating for me, and it was a really exciting new thing for me to try and be like, can I fit in here? Can I feel comfortable? And like once that started to happen, and I played here for the first time, it was, it was huge. Just aside from seeing all the bands and just the energy and the fact that this sort of thing was going on and I found it in the microcosm of the place I grew up was incredible to me. It was huge. So it was really exciting. I think I probably played the songs way too fast. I, it probably <laughs> like went by in a blur. I was prob- I, I'm pretty sure I was like nauseous that whole day before the show at school. <laughs> and I thought about it all week and whether it was there or like a show at house of Atreus when that venue still existed oh, yeah, in railroad that, square, like, yes, you know, as, as Tom was saying, you look for, that's the thing you look forward to that show and all month it would be all about that so yeah yeah i i was definitely near pukey the first few times i played here you guys were actually blessed i think a little more than a lot of the young bands today are in that there were many more places to play there were a few more places in santa rosa that were actually open and doing all ages shows mm-hmm. uh there were the house parties there was just a ton of cool stuff and i think you guys had a slightly easier market to break into weirdly enough well people had to go out to find music that's they, true and they were going out and that's yeah. Yeah. you know what for us uh, we always do better when there's more clubs and more action and more people right. getting in the habit of going out everybody does well huh. and uh, so yeah, we, we encourage more clubs yeah. yeah it's really important it's think about the old days when uh, when this market was doing what it did best breaking emerging bands we had the phoenix we had 
the Mystic as the Palace Theater was doing mm-hmm. shows. You had the Cabaret doing shows. You had the Guerneville Theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even uh, in the beginning, uh, a studio cafe. Yeah. There was action yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People were going out every weekend. The big problem was which club are you going to tonight? What bands are you going to go see? Yeah. And just people were, it was great. For us, it was one of the best things that could happen. And in those days, you'd put a name up on the marquee. Didn't matter if anybody heard of them. You'd have a couple hundred people we coming, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Didn't matter. Yeah. You so could that, open the doors and, and do well. Well, the perspective of that has been really weird. Being our age, my perspective is different than Steve. Steve still gets to play to several thousand people once in a while. But my band started in the era, in the early 2000s, when it wasn't so difficult to get people to come to shows, indie shows. And now it's a good show is less people. And so I think transitioning your perspective as an older musician to knowing what good is still has been a little bit of a struggle for me. Um, Earlier, Steve and I were talking about just how different regions are different. So you have to think of that as different generations are different. People weren't coming to shows. And it definitely feels like it's picking up. Seems it, like it is here. You yeah. know, I mean, we are fortunate to live, I mean, to have grown up. I know, Steve, you probably don't live in this area anymore, right? No, um, I don't. But, I mean, by the way, for anybody who's out there who doesn't know, uh, Steve is a part of RX Bandits, which is a very popular band. I mean, last time through, you guys played the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco. That's a 1,500-person yeah. club. And, I mean, you are nationally known. Internationally. Internationally, internationally known. Man of mystery. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, you know, so congratulations to you guys. Uh, it's really cool. Thank um, you very much. You know, I think in our community, there seems to be like a Sonoma County glass ceiling sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like b- bands do well in here. And there's a great community. Everybody seems to support each other. So, you know, sometimes there's more people. Sometimes there's less people. But it just seems like, ah, you know, I wish somebody could like break out there and really do something, you know. And, well, um, and once they do people kind of stop noticing it happened with tsunami bomb it's happening with ceremony it's happening with other bands that are actually from here and once they're doing well in other places they come home they're still the same people they're still playing the same clubs yeah Yeah. and so people don't see that uh life experience that they've gained and um it's really interesting to just look emily in the eyes because you can see that lady has seen a lot yeah. Indeed, <laughs> we did Emily Whitehurst yeah. Tsunami Bomb. Did you yeah. guys yeah. did the RX Bandits go out with Tsunami Bomb? Oh yes, many yeah. many years ago. It was about thirteen years ago now, but we had a great time. And yeah, hello. That's that's great. Emily was our first Fun guest on the show. Yeah. In this community, it's funny because you probably grew up and there were people that you would see where you like kind of look up to them. Like I'd really like to play shows with them. And Steve, <laughs> Steve is pointing at Gabe right now. Absolutely. And Gabe is pointing at Sarah. <laughs> so I was talking with Navid from Trebuchet, which is an indie rock band around here that everybody really respects a lot. And he's also was in Not Your Reason Why. And he was saying how his experience has been so interesting. He's 28, 29 now. Sorry if I got your age wrong, Naveed. And uh, he was saying how he grew up in Sonoma County and he would look up to people like Gabe Moline, people like Josh Staples, who is Sarah's husband, and how he just like he thought the world of them and to even interact with them was like a dream for him. And Steve's nodding like maybe that was his experience. Very much so. And then to become peers with them like blew his mind, just like, oh, we're all just friends. That blew his mind. And then now the next stage is people coming up to him being like, I love your music. Mm -hmm. Like, you're so amazing. And to him, he's like uncomfortable with that. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the guy you look up to. So it's just an interesting thing that happens. Gabe, I'm sure you can identify. Well, sometimes you find out that your heroes are dicks. Yeah. And that sucks. <laughs> too but, many, too many times. But sometimes, I mean, especially like on a local level, like name, you'll name. you'll see them at a party across the room, and you're like, oh man. Um, but no, there are there are yeah. some there are some people that are will always be celebrities to me. Um, Andy Asp from Nuisance and Crop Duster. Yep. Oh, my legs quake when I'm in his presence. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go ahead and have to say the same for me. Yeah, um, Ralph and Larry from Victims Family. You bet. Those dudes are Lennon and McCartney for me, and they always will be. You know, there are just certain people that walked this stage. Which note on 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 the Ralph and Andy thing? They're not the assholes you're talking about. Not that I've <laughs> ever not that I've ever encountered, but um, but it's exciting to be able to. I don't know Larry. That's as as you said, know. as you said, become peers with them in one way or another. You know, um, I started interviewing bands when I was really young. I had a photocopied zine in high school called "Boy Does High School Ever Suck," and it gave me a good excuse to interview bands because I said, "I just want to talk to you about high school." And did you found that zine? That and was your zine? Yeah, yeah. It was you know a silly thing, but the first three bands I interviewed were Green Day, Jawbreaker, and Fugazi. Oh, come man. on. Yeah. And, for you. And I know um, you're a huge Fugazi fan, right, Steve? 
Oh yeah, much of RX Bandit's career has been predicated upon. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Fugazi. Yeah, they're they're incredible. Um, I, all three of us have a great deal of respect for that band. And I interviewed Green Day at Santa Rosa High School after they played at lunch. But I interviewed Jawbreaker on the fire escape at the Phoenix Theater. Perfect. I interviewed Fugazi backstage at the Phoenix Theater. Amazing. You know, and um, Rancid played here once. This came up at a podcast yeah, oh, earlier. Yeah. And uh, Lint and this guy Eric Yee uh, were walking down an alley, and I saw him, and I followed him down to the river <laughs> and they were sitting on the river and in I walked Petal- up in Petaluma, in Petaluma and I yeah. just I started talking to Lint or Tim or Time Bomb or whatever his name is now <laughs> and um and uh, talking to him about Operation Ivy and stuff and he just opened right up and we talked for about an hour about Operation Ivy about yeah. their last show about what it all meant about what he was trying to parlay from that into Rancid I mean they had a seven inch out and that was it you know yeah. and there weren't that many people at that show no that was um, yeah it, it at the was, rancid show Tom. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, i the show it was it was an eye-opener to me we i i knew who they were mm-hmm. and uh gee i was looking forward to an incredible night and it was an incredible night they gave it was an incredible show do we remember when this was it was, it was a sunday early night 90s? i think um i'm gonna say 93 okay probably and that show should have done better, but it did not. Uh, but boy, that was a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the best shows we've ever had, nobody has been to. Yeah. <laughs> but so you talked to them by the river and what an experience. Well, well, yeah. And, you know, and so that's the type of thing where you idolize somebody, obviously, because they're talented or magnetic or whatever. And you catch them at a time or a place or a special temple like the Phoenix Theater where one-on-one interaction isn't so stunted and isn't so unnatural. And um, I'm very lucky for that. Was that a, a question of the times? Uh, because that was part of this thing about seeing a show in Sonoma County. Uh, at the Guerneville Theater, you could have great interaction with, with the bands. Uh, everybody was visiting with, Pri- with uh, Primus. Everybody would visit with uh, um, Bungle and all of these people. And all the bands were hanging with the people. We had um, No Doubt come. And they were all just hanging out all day and just hanging out with people. And, and this, I don't think these things happen anymore. I think, it's a, I think it might be a matter of geography. And Steve can back me up on this because he's still kind of doing these types of tours. But I did merch for some larger bands. And you get to the, some smaller towns like Athens, Georgia, places where there's a, where there, there aren't the meetings. There aren't uh, people up in your fucking business all day as as a musician and you have the afternoon free yeah. and you're in a cute little town mm-hmm. and, and what does it matter that you know the kid who's next to you at the record store wants to say hi you're just in a different place i think it, yeah it's very true you definitely open up a lot more and there's just a lot more that well, like when we play lawrence kansas you know yeah people come up knock on the bus want to say hi and Say hi, and, and it's mellow, and it's back. cool. Yeah, it's but like a chill place. Steve cannot promise this in Los Angeles, California. <laughs> <laughs> can I tell a, a lousy story about the bus? Yeah. Wait, you yeah. can tell a lousy Knocking story. on the bus. The great okay. thing about this show is that we just cut it if it's not good. <laughs> yeah, okay. There was a show here in, I think, uh, 1999, The Roots played here. They played here twice. Yes, they did. And... Um, I things fall apart just come out. They were amazing. They yeah. were amazing. On fire, it was though. so good. Yes. Uh, Common was with them. Yes. Um, I think Jill Scott was on tour with them. Their female backup singer. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, it's kind of an embarrassing secret, but I'm a huge record collector who likes to ask famous people to sign their records for me. And so I had brought with me a Roots record that I loved a lot, Illadelph Half-Life. And after the show, I found Questlove backstage, and he signed it for me. And then I was like, oh, man, I got to find Black Thought. I got to find Black Thought. Tariq, the main rapper guy. Yeah. And I couldn't find him anywhere. And so I saw their bus, and I just walked on their bus. Keep in mind, I'm incredibly drunk. And uh, I walk on their bus, and there is a lone female on the bus, and she looks up at me, and I go, oh, I'm sorry. And I stumble back off the bus. Well... Next thing I know, I'm out in front of the Phoenix Theater and some guy is yelling, it's the kid with the amoeba bag. It's the kid with the amoeba bag. And all these dudes rush over and crowd around me like a football huddle, yelling aggressive things at me about what I stole from their bus. Oh, they should have locked their bus. Well, anyway, Tom Gaffey, so Tom Gaffey, you're you're remembering this, I can oh, see, because yeah. your blood pressure is rising. Oh. Gabe Moline's giving you another heart attack. No, no. Uh, and Tom Gaffey runs over, and he just says, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong guy. Whatever he did, you've got the wrong guy. 
<laughs> and he calls off the yeah. dogs. The, the situation oh, gets a little diffused and everything. And I'm just standing there like, oh, God. I, oh, God. I'm sorry, Tom. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, that is a big no-no. When it's drunk a huge people, no-no. When it's drunk people no-no. roll onto our bus totally, when we're on tour, totally. it's very a hostile environment. But you yeah. got to understand. Weirdly, I have a Roots bus story. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please. Steve, do you have a Roots bus story? I wish. Oh, okay. No. I, I was on tour with- We told you you were supposed to bring a Roots bus story with you. <laughs> Did you not get the email? I was on tour with Mates of State. Oh, that and, was a um, great band. My band, was, I, I was doing merch for Mates of State. And we were playing at a place in Pittsburgh, Club Laga, that was two or three clubs stacked. Yeah. So Roots was playing in the other one, and they were parked around the corner. And some drunk lady got on our bus and started screaming at me that I was a whore. <laughs> what? What? Where the fuck are the roots? What are you doing here, you white bitch whore? Damn. <laughs> yes. Well, what, what, they don't mess what, around what in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's when I learned... Lock your bus. Lock yeah. your bus. Well, where that place is, Club Laga too in Pittsburgh. That's that's a rough spot. There. I've been there. Is that the club with the? It's like a the metal monitor, gr- a metal grid. Precisely. That the monitors place are in the yeah. metal. Yeah. The, Which uh, I actually ended up in the elevator, and uh, Questlove just kind of big armed me into like a man hug. And I'm not a toucher person. No, you're so not. <laughs> I was like trying to roll out, and everybody was looking at me like, but. You're it's, on it's, the elevator, and I was like, "I'm not at this show. No, I'm not at this show." You denied a Questlove embrace <laughs> in Pittsburgh. When Questlove hugs you, you hug him back. But if our expandants ever make it back, I promise I'll give you security at the bus. It'll be honestly <laughs> nobody will crash. If people cared enough to crash our bus here in Petaluma, I would be honored wow. and excited. Cool. Well, I mean, really, there's only one way to find out, and we can talk about that later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you remember your first show with Phoenix, sir? Uh, yes. I'm embarrassed to say I came to the Fugazi show here and I didn't have $5, so I stood outside. Oh, oh And for no. years, I have not made, I have not fessed up to that fact. I have told people wow. I was inside, but I was outside. Because that so had to have been like red medicine tour or something. You couldn't oh, have repeater. been repeater. Repeater. Repe- or repeater. Yeah, yeah, repeater. Everybody was supposed to make you it missed repeater that. tour. No, show. I was just shy. I w- no, trust me. See, that's why, even as, though, oh. even though I've been coming here since I was 13. I was not a Phoenix kid, and I yeah. do the finger quotes because the I. But we look for the non-Phoenix. The, kids. But the Phoenix yeah. kids are there. <laughs> yeah. the, they're the ones with balls. Like the oh, I'm the one that's getting in for free. I do security. Like I was like, I was shy. I would never. I would never pull that. I just. So Fugazi means a lot to the three of you. Oh right? yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. When, when did they stop playing? Uh, Two thousand two. Right. Two thousand two. Here's what I thought was elegant about the way they broke up: is that they didn't say they broke up. Yeah. They just said, we're not going to play for a while. We're having families and starting other bands and stuff. But they didn't do a last show. They didn't, you know, set up for a reunion tour three years later. You know, yeah. they just said, we're, we're cooling our jets for a while. They're yeah. an institution. They just watched it grow and yeah. continue yeah. to exist. They I, have gotten brought up a lot on this show. They mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, I saw them quite a few times after. Well, I saw them at the Maritime Hall. I saw them at Fort Mason. And Lint from Op Ivy was doing the door. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he was working the door. And um, they played at Fort Mason with El Cid and Raul and the Grups. El Cid. The Grups. Yeah. Grups. He remembers yeah. everything. It makes oh, my eyes man. roll. I'm sorry. It's I had a Grups patch on and it was made, And it was May Day, and it was like 5,000 people in Fort Mason. And it was put on by like, you know, some fly-by-night punk organization you know (laughs) and it was one of those things where you realized that fugazi was trying to stay true to their roots and not charge a lot of money and keep it on an underground independent level but they were almost too big for those britches you know and green day had that same problem they did that dookie tour and they sold out every single club and it was mayhem trying to contain their fame in the underground the monster is bigger than you yeah so it's as tough as it was for people like me it made sense for them to do what they did. Yeah, but I got to ask, Gabe. So when they played Dookie here, mm-hmm. were you out in front picketing? No, no, you were no. Not part of the. Well, let's, I wasn't. Okay, let's contextualize. So Green Day, they signed the major contract, and what, their last show was the Dookie. For us, it was for, a, for it was the Phoenix was the Dookie them, yeah. tour, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, it, what was bittersweet for me, it was also Nuisance's last show. Uh, so, so Nuisance and Green Day played on the show, and, and, and Tilt, with Tom, with Tilt Tom played that show with Tom, too. Tilt, uh, which Tilt. was Gabe's band. Tom's referencing they signed the major contract, and back then that was a no-no. So um, people were picketing out. If in front. you were, yeah. if you were a, a, if you were a member of the IAC Independent Arts Coalition, yeah, I mean they even had an, like the the punk police. They called the themselves. Punk. It was basically <laughs> the members of the band Engage, and, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and they they picketed out front that show. They I think did. it was 1994. Trey went out and joined them for a while yeah of course you know he's a clown but yeah. you know they signed to warner brothers which is connected to the you know done. the multinational you know uh and now they continue to write they can do the projects they want to do uh they can do shows what year was this show and they're comfortable 1994 they 1994. are the new aerosmith yeah kind of i guess but you know yeah. they're still they're staying relevant well, i can tell you a funny story about that show they played at Gilman a couple weeks before and there was a sound man there who taped the show for us and so there were all these new songs all these new Dookie songs and um, one of them I learned how to play and I wrote new lyrics for it uh, very tongue in cheek and I saw Billy at that show and I, I, I borrowed a guitar from Jeff from Tilt and I went up to Billy and said hey Billy uh, uh, can I play you a song <laughs> and he said uh, sure so we went out in the back driveway of the Phoenix here and I started playing this song and it was a it was a new Green Day song that hadn't been released yet. And the <laughs> lyrics were all about how they were signing to Warner Brothers and everyone was mad at them. You're such and a dick. The cor- I know. Were you and friends the- with him at this point? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no, no. I mean, Billy and I knew each other oh, okay. pretty well. So he, this wasn't, he didn't Just take this as an random. attack. I hope not. Okay. <laughs> you, well, w- was it good natured on your end or was the intention to kind of like jibe him and kind of get under his skin a little bit? No, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, my intention was to make fun of the punk police out on the uh, sidewalk. Oh, okay. right. So the chorus but of the did song. Did he take it like that? I gotta tell my story. Okay, sorry. So I'm just co- concerned for Billy. <laughs> I, well, yeah. So the chorus of the song was, I'm not being punk. I'm just selling out. Oh. And I sacrifice oh, my morals no. to the man or oh, something like that. <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of like looking at him while I'm singing the song. And there was like lines about being the next Pearl Jam and stuff. And he was a little uncomfortable, probably because it started drawing a crowd. And people were like laughing at the lyrics. And that way it became not so much of a me poking fun at the people on the sidewalk but it was like look at this guy poking fun at billy <laughs> it was very weird and i felt awkward about it later that night on stage they played that song burnout and uh he got to the chorus and he sang i'm not being punk i'm just selling oh, now what a kid. and he yeah, did yeah. that for several shows after that and that's Amazing. when i knew that his feelings weren't actually hurt what and a guy. was taking yeah, it yeah, in that stride. Was excellent yeah that's great Thank God. You know, but, and that's, uh, somewhere along the line, we were talking about those moments at this house. And I do believe it was a Green Day show, and it was one of the special moments that I, that I get many of here. And it was, I think, you and uh, Gabe and Adam were sitting on the drum riser during a Green Day set. And you guys were just so enthralled with where you were at the time, and it <laughs> felt so good to have, uh, you know, a local crew being such a strong part of, of, of these moments. Uh, do you recall that at all? No, but it wasn't unusual to, <laughs> right just, over there. to just sit on the drum riser when, you yeah, know, a, a when band the bands are playing. playing. Yeah. See, I wasn't punk. What were you? Where was I? <laughs> so first, uh, we were talking first concerts at the Phoenix. Just because we're there, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So you said yours, right? Mine was the Violent Femmes. The Violent Femmes, oh, which I, I think was 1988. That was more or less my first concert. <laughs> yeah, kind of. yeah. Was that, was that your first national big show here that you did? That or? We did, yeah, that I did. That was yeah. the first first national I did for Laurel Pine, the Eccentrics. Eccentrics, great organization. Cool. That sent us on the journey we're on now. Yeah. Uh, she came in, and, and I was trying to figure out what are we going to do with this big old drafty building because we couldn't show movies and make money anymore. And uh, she came in and offered me a thousand dollars for the building for one night. Well, that was a whole month's rent. Oh, wow! wow. Heck yes, we'll take and that. And you clapped your hands like this. And I, you said, probably Far out, Pine. I probably did. <laughs> and I totally drove her crazy. It was. I. I still. I, if I ever see Laurel, I'll have to say, Laurel, I'm so sorry about that day. That show was incredibly crowded. I remember that. Absolutely. About it. I remember for their encore, they brought out the horns of Dilemma and did this 12-minute long freak-out free jazz wow. jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to which a girl, Sarah, from Comstock Junior High, made out with me through the whole 10 minutes. Like, right. I think is probably why I like free jazz And today. when the encore was done, so was Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, it was, yeah, it was a great night. Uh, soon after that, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. At least in that era, it was all very like white boy funk, 
kind of thrash, jokey, cheese balls, sex with food, Mr. Bungle, you know, all that yeah. type of stuff. And then the one band... <laughs> Early 90s. We're yeah, talking. and yeah. the one band from that scene that, that stuck out for me was Victim's Family because yeah. they... Epic. Uh, serious, yeah. They were cerebral musically, but they were very serious lyrically yeah. as well. Yeah. And as a teenager, you know, you have songs that are very uh, political, mixing it with personal in a really clever way with shredding bass playing, you know. It appealed to me in every way, and it's really stood the test of time. And you how just great described is it Ground Round for me. Well, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sort of. We ripped shredding them off. Shredding bass playing. As, yes. as much as we could. And, and so you were a fan of Victim's Family as well. Yeah, I Steve. knew them after from all the older like guys that I hung out with because I was one of the younger kids that was lucky enough to, I guess, not be annoying enough to hang out with the <laughs> older guys that I looked up to. So, yeah. yeah. They were a turning point locally, I think, for me, Victim's Family, because, yeah, you know, they, they had, you have songs like uh, Homophobia. It was written in 1984. So it's, what, 30 years later, and now gay marriage is everywhere. Yeah. And Homophobia is, you know, if you played it for anyone on the street, a truly annoying song. I think the chorus of it goes... Homophobia is a disease caused by insecurity over one's own sexuality, exacerbated by society that sets standards for masculinity and femininity. And like, <laughs> Tom's no, nodding. No it's one's smiling. gonna. Oh, man. No one's yeah, gonna. But those are my favorite breaks of theirs, actually. No one's gonna slow dance with their loved one to that song. Like, no one's gonna <laughs> sing that song in the car on the way to spring break. But that song plants a seed in at least one person, me, myself, you know, that like, hey, Maybe homosexuality isn't this evil demon thing. Maybe it is good. Maybe it doesn't matter if it's good or bad, you know? Maybe it's just the thing. So, And 30 years later, look how that one domino pushed society in a positive direction. I have a very coincidental story about that very thing. Yeah. Uh, you and I and several people were standing out on the sidewalk after a show that I think you had played. And a truck drove by and yelled something at us. And I looked at him and I yelled, faggots. And you looked and you said, hey, I'm gay. And it taught me a huge lesson. I never, from that moment on, I will not use that. I have not used that as a derogatory term because it, uh, it made it very personal for me. And, uh, and I realized, my God, that was exactly the wrong thing that anybody that wants to be intelligent would do. Legit. And, and that probably happened... Uh, what twenty years ago? Twenty five years ago, I bet. Wow, I don't. Yeah. Re- that's something I would do. Yeah, well, yeah, it is, <laughs> and it was a life changing moment for me. Thanks, Tom. It was incredible. That's good. Well, I mean, you know, the that it, very insightful. It, it, it was those things like when Prop Eight was around. You know, you'd read about Republicans changing their mind, and it was it was like a one by one thing. You couldn't change the world at large, but you could change one person's mind at a time. So that's when I, you know, I started getting into the East Bay scene with like bands like Crimp Shrine um, oh, and band. Neurosis and uh, Cringer and you know bands that were incorporating See, personal and political themes into their oh, yeah. songs and a lot of those bands came up and played here um, yeah, oh, yeah that's the point Crimp Shrine is one of those great bands that played here that still we couldn't pull a crowd for for whatever reason it was just it was an embarrassing night for me what a great band and we underperformed for that and uh, oh I worry so much when I have the bands that I really super respect because some of the best bands in the world, people don't come out to see it, feels like. And yeah. Well, as a well, venue, as long as you keep trying, they don't notice. The bands well, I don't not. notice. <laughs> I mean, well, honestly, I I at the end of the night, if the club's not acting weird about no one coming and... Oh, no, yeah, we will never yeah, do that. Yeah, then, the, if, hey, you know. <laughs> there was a show I played here once with... Uh, with Rob Sutter and Kevin Buchholz and we covered songs from Les Miserables. <laughs> that and was a great night. Oh yeah, yes, you were a fan. You were a fan of that band. Yes, absolutely um, thrilled about that. We we learned how to play uh, songs like Castle on a Cloud and At yes. the End of the Day and I Dreamed a Dream and um, Wh- when was this and, uh, and who was the person you did it? Nineteen ninety four. Tilt had played a show the night before at Slim's and I was driving back at four in the morning. Big stop. And I fell asleep at the wheel Oof. and when I woke up what I saw was the asphalt a foot from my face sliding right by at 60 miles an hour. I had flipped my car. And I was careening into off of the freeway right near Todd Road. And the brakes weren't working. And uh, so it, it, it came to a stop, and I got out of the car, and I was fine. You know, I mean, I was rattled <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but I was fine. The car was totaled. Uh, my fender baseman was 50 feet away on the other side of the freeway. Oh. Um, 
And the very next day, it forced me to reevaluate a lot of things like, man, what if I had died? You know, straight up. Where, where am I at in my life? What do I really want? You know, what am I wasting my time on? What do I want to pursue? And then we had that show with the Le Miserable cover band at the, in the lobby of the Phoenix that night. And I, um, I broke up with my girlfriend, and her name was Liz Seward. And she was going to break up with me, <laughs> which is the funny thing. <laughs> nice thing to do to a guy after he almost died. Um, but it was like yeah, one but, of the, but, but you broke up with her. Well, it was no. So it was actually one of the most mutual, amicable Beautiful. breakups in history. I was like, you know, Liz, we really need to talk. And she said, yeah, I think we need to talk too. Let's walk around the block. We got halfway down the block and it was like, you know, I just, I just don't think that. And she cut me off and she's like, you don't need to say it. I don't think so either. You know, this Beautiful. isn't right. You know, and I was like, really? And then like 30 seconds later, we're crying and hugging and like, okay, well, I guess we just broke up, you know? And um, I didn't talk to her for the next 10 years, but maybe two or three times. That's breaking up. Yeah. And then 10 years later, we met and uh, started dating. And now we've been married for 10 years. See? Nice. Amazing. So the Phoenix but, Theater but, is where I broke up with my wife <laughs> before, she, <laughs> before she was my wife. Oh, God. But Tilt but, didn't make the life cut. Tilt definitely didn't make so, the life cut. No. no. You know what? You know, you know what I, I do want to mention is like how much support there was for me as a teenage male to join a band and get on this stage and how little support there is for teenage females to start a band and get on this stage and sarah mentioned not getting started until what 25 yes i graduated from college and got married ran a record label helped my husband with his bands and then was like oh wait yeah, and, and we missed a lot. There's me. Yeah, and uh, did you want to be in a band when you were a teenager? I think anyone at a show wants to be in a band. Yeah, everyone says, I want to do that. I don't think there's a person <laughs> who's actually watching music who isn't putting themselves on that stage. And when I was making my list of bands that have played here, there's a surprising lack of females. Yeah. Um, you know, bands like Spitboy have played here. They were great. Yeah, band, they were what incredible a band. band. Um, Des Arcus played here. There was Ash was um, playing here with, with her stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Always, yeah. always mm-hmm. good stuff. But girls don't get the support that, you know, to, to do that. Uh, that guys and you're do. saying just in, in society? Oh, well, yeah. in, no, in society, cultural. but but it's especially. Do you remember? It's, a girl? Speci- it's especially unsettling in a scene that's allegedly alternative and the other thing different too is people don't tend to remember it's a female band unless it's female fronted. I think there's a lot of females involved in music that um, unless you're yeah that play drums that you're right up we've front. We've had some great great female drummers come through that here. You're, yeah. you're not representing. Females enough or something. Uh, the Dread. Yeah. The Dread had an incredible bass player uh, who is now a teacher at, at uh, Casa Grande. Athena. Yeah. Athena, yeah. you bet. <laughs> but I will, I will continue to state this until it becomes true. F- yeah. Women but, are 51% of the population. Until they're 51% of the population in music, something's fucked. We need to work on that. Yeah. When you go to any shows as, as a teenage girl, and what you see the yeah. purpose of girls is is to give head in the balcony mm-hmm. or to you know stand in the front row so a guy can stand behind her and do whatever he oh, wants to man. do to her you know and tom i know this is making you feel bad yeah. it's not exclusive to the phoenix it's at any you know punk or indie yeah, club know, you know across america yeah, he's not making a commentary a on the phoenix club. in particular no no. Saying, no no i no i get that as a matter of fact and it, it, it's just discouraging that that's where we are still in society mm-hmm. after all of this yeah and Having traveled as much as I have, there are definitely scenes that cultivate more of a friendliness towards female f- musicians, and Sonoma County doesn't have it in spades. Um, however, it is person to person. It requires men who are big enough to be okay with hanging out with their girlfriends. Yeah. You know, because you know, a lot of dudes start bands and they really like getting away from the lady. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's, especially when you're older, you get in your 20s and 30s, and it's, it's beer night. You go to the studio, you, yeah. you have beer with the guys. Yeah. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the dad rock bands, it's not about bringing your wife in. And, and it, the it, weekend warrior. Yeah. Warriors, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you don't get a lot of ladies in the pit. You no, don't get a lot you of don't. Girls. You just, you meet yeah. good people when, unfortunately, as a girl, you, you kind of have to, have the balls to step forward and be like, I'm going to be part of this. And um, some people aren't that kind about it. Some people have been not kind. 
And also, you know, Gabe and not necessarily Steve, because I don't remember him ever being bad at music, but we all got to like <laughs> suck on stage a little bit at, at our instruments and oh, I had my time be teenagers, <laughs> but unfortunately my teenage time came in my 20s. So I recommend to all women, start in your teen years. It's, yeah. a little, it's a little more graceful. I remember my first serious interaction with Sarah was the cursive show that New Trust played on in March of 2008. That oh. was one of the first indie rock shows that I did here. I remember that cursive show, and it ended with Tim Kasher taking the microphone stand off of the stage and planting it in the center of the crowd mm-hmm. and playing the song Sink to the Beat. Oh, holy shit. Santiago played that show, too. We did, yeah. Wow, so both of you, I two, don't two-thirds remember of the guests played that, that show, show tonight. Gabe will tell me if I did. Yeah. Did, you did we play the lobby? No, our our expanded did not play stage. that show. But, <laughs> no. but Santiago and New we Trust were, did. What they yeah, we have. both opened that show, and, they, and he played that song at the end, and it's, oh, it's a jammer. That song is I wish I was there for and there are people crowded great. around him and everyone's all, and singing along and grabbing the microphone and it was a feeling of community it was a feel, there was you know no separation band audience or one it was an amazing celebration and a lot of my favorite experiences here have been that whether on Indeed. that visceral like in your face level or whether on even like a more polite family level the Logan Whitehurst Memorial here. Yeah. It's one of the most special days cool. yeah. at really the Phoenix Theater. Day. Yeah. Um, Logan Whitehurst, the, the drummer for the Velveteen, had an incredible solo career as well yeah. and um, died Junior way too... Junior Science Project. Yeah, oh, died man. way too early. Yes. And um, Santiago, somehow, we elected ourselves to be the house band for his um, memorial party here at the Phoenix Theater and we learned 21 of his songs. Yeah, you made a great accounting to yourselves. <laughs> and... Um, and Dr. Demento showed up. Dr. Yes, Demento was a big true. fan of Logan Whitehurst. In the Phoenix Theater, you bet. So me and Josh Drake drove to the airport to pick him up, and he helped us load our van. <laughs> Dr. Oh. Demento was roadieing for Santiago that day. Oh, what a day. And Logan's whole family was here. Yes. All of his friends were here. And the mood was solemn, and it was partially our job to make it not so solemn and not so sad. And fun, because his music was nothing if not fun. Yeah. And so we had so many guest singers, you know, so many people came up and signed up for songs, and we played songs, and other people played songs. Yeah. And, it, and it is especially good of a tribute for a musician to have. We've done it a few times, and it's, we have, it's very nice. It is, and we have done too many. Yeah. We've done over the years now. We, we've had a spate in the last... Ten years, I think, were geez. It's not just musicians. The Sonoma County has lost an awful lot of really special young people, and, and it seems feels like we're kind of coming out of that right now. So yeah. maybe we can get by without doing a tribute for a while. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Would, be, would be good. My favorite, my my favorite shows more than the tributes are the shows that are about birth, uh, that are about young bands, yeah. or that are about. I try to, I, I haven't done it much lately since I've had a daughter, but I, for a while I was trying to come to the Phoenix on just a random night, throw a dartboard at the calendar and be like, okay, I'll see these bands. One of my favorite shows I came to here was the band Waters from Petaluma. Oh, you bet. Love that band. And they had a CDR that was a poor sound quality, but really cool songs and oh. long guitar jams. And yes. they did a really good cover of Brazil. And the opening band was called Porcelain People. Yes. I, I have no idea who they are or who they were or where they are now. But Floating around. The, uh, incredible players. Such a good band. Yeah. The, very the, they were, it was their second show ever. The singer sounded like Lou Reed. There was a, um, they did a cover of Bright Eyes, Lua. They ended their set with a girl singing a song about uh, India. And there was just an innocence and a potential about it. You know, it was just like, wow, this band could really, <laughs> there's something there, yeah. you know? And it was really, I was mesmerized. A ton of talent on, on the stage that night. All and of the bands were They were like players. juniors and seniors in high school. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, I was behooved to go up to the singer afterwards and say, man, how long have you been playing? You know, this and that, you know, what are your plans and everything? And I was, we, well, I call out the Buzzy Martin yeah <laughs> great i'm now buzzy martin you buzzy martin's them <laughs> but could you, you expl- know, could you explain that reference uh he used to do the open mic nights at coffee cats and sebastopol and some various other places he yeah get really really excited he about really, young local talent and he wore yes. a hip pair of uh, boots but uh i remember just 
and he just I mean, he definitely had an earnestness but it was oh, definitely yes. like that guy who's <laughs> really a little bit too old yeah yeah but you know to what to be that. telling you what you, your specialness and your genre was yeah yeah, yeah. with buzzy martin yeah. though um he you know he brought this incredible energy out certainly and it did feel blustery and over the top yeah but he he actually walks the walk. He's worked with a, a lot people. of kids yeah. that uh, that have been in in tough times, and Buzzy has been there to work with them and, and uh, done incredible work. I guess I I've guess. always, yeah. even from a very young age, taken issue with that concept of yeah. production and producing a young act. But that's a the whole older other topic. person trying to yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely. No, but that is, I was just yeah. curious. I was just a fan, you know. And he the singer had applied to three different colleges like Berkeley, Brown, Yale, or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those bands that yeah. German at the Phoenix could be something incredible and dissipates or and hits and the glass ceiling or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They all go and have their education. incredible lives. Yeah. yeah. We have yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, yeah, the kids we don't, you know, they go on to be really successful but, and don't just stay here. Which brings <laughs> yeah. up an, an interesting point because um, I had forgotten where Steve came from in, in this whole mess or exciting <laughs> whatever it is. You were with Steve the Blockheads. Choi. Steve Choi was playing with the Blockheads, <laughs> yeah. who, by the way, uh, were one of the best attitude bands we've ever had come through here. You guys were always a happy crew, always easy to work with. It was a great situation for me because I wasn't there in the beginning. I was just that young kid that was given a shot to play so, with them, and it meant so much to me at the time. So Prior was, to Blockheads, <laughs> you hadn't done much. I did. I had my own little band when we were freshmen in high school. Tell us like, about it. Tell us about it. What was it. the name? It, it was called The Aminos. And it was uh, Dave from the Blockheads actually suggested that name, and it was a three piece, and we played a show here. Yeah, you know, we played a show. I think it was a truant show. Oh, truant! And it was a one. It was like an eight band show. It was one of those ones, you Uh, know. Yeah. Did not Milkfat share a couple players? One or two players with truant. With truant, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gabe, was Milkfat your first band? Um, my first band was Ground Round, Ground but Round. I oh. I did play in Milkfat for a, a little while. Yeah. Result, there was one night at a place called Hot Spots in Santa Rosa where Hot Spots. Hot Spots. I was I went on a rant about how much the Phoenix was great and how much Hot Spots sucked, <laughs> and they were playing this <laughs> instrumental jam behind me, and uh, this guy Sean Kehoe handed me a razor blade, oh. and so I to maximize the point that I was making about how great the Phoenix was and how much hot spots sucked, I decided to drag the razor blade a couple times across my chest. Um, right. No one listening to the podcast can see this now, but I have these huge scars Holy cow. on my chest. He really does. Yeah. Whoa. Um, I refused to go to the hospital. Whoa. I, I walked. Which is why you have the scars. Well, yeah. Those are serious <laughs> scars. I, yeah. I, 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 I never cut myself with a razor blade before. I was like, this is probably. But you, you, were, did all, it right. you were all amped up probably. I was very so amped up. You yeah. know, I was mad. I was on, on stage and I thought yeah. it was just going to be like cutting yourself with a safety pin. And might I know? say he has a lot of scars on his chest and stomach. <laughs> yeah. So. And for all of that, Hotspots did do their their share. They they played a lot of young bands there, didn't they? Um, Rancid played there. Mr. Yeah. T Experience played there. Yeah, yeah, One yeah. Man Running played there. But yeah. um, Cafe This was more fun. Cafe This was Cafe across this. the street yeah, yeah. was way more fun. So I yeah. ran out of Hotspots. I threw the microphone down, you know, and I ran out of Hotspots. And I went, oh, my God, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> so I ran over to Cafe This, and I asked Rob Cole if I could use the bathroom. And I went into the men's room, and I just started pulling Bled paper towels. And I wrapped paper towels around my chest. And then I walked two miles home to uh, the Humboldt House, where I was living at the time. The Humboldt House. And um, uh, a couple of people tried to get me to go to the hospital. I refused. And then finally I did. And they uh, shot 45 staples in my stomach. <laughs> And then Ground Round played a show here, like, I don't know, five nights later. So I played that show wearing a kilt and no shirt with 45 staples in my chest. And I remember Jeff Ott coming out mid-song and just, like, looking at my chest and shaking his head. Good boy, Jeff. So this is my concept of Steve. Was at shows, played at Blockheads, disappeared. Yeah, more or less. That's about right. So, but then there was... Yeah, but Some, even though I, I was so absent, like, it's cool to hear you guys talk about these stories and talk about that time because oftentimes I I have a propensity for being, like, really nostalgic. And I, I, I attribute so much of what I do now, whatever level it's on, I don't, I still have much to accomplish. But whatever I've been able to accomplish thus far, I attribute so much to my time here at the Phoenix and how it broadened my view and just put that on my radar that I could ever do that for fun, let alone actually make a life out of it. So it's nice because I wonder sometimes I'm like, am I over romanticizing it? Is there was was am I creating more in my memory, which I often do with so many things, but it's just like 
hearing this dialogue now and hearing everything that went on, it really confirms like what a special place and what a special time it was for me. And I'm totally validated and how much I still to musicians, friends, peers that I have around the world, industry people, I gush about the Phoenix and what we had there. And whether it was seeing Jawbreaker here on Dear You Tour or being here for like, you know what I mean? Like a variety of shows, you know, it's like, man, I'm really fucking lucky. But I got to say, you know, without over-romanticizing, a place like the Phoenix could never exist. It's just yeah, it's yeah so much no, more fun some, in the future. It doesn't click for some people. I have yeah. a young nephew. Yeah. He's younger than me, but he was about 11 when Josh was in the Wonder Years. And I, I used to bring oh. my nieces and nephews out to shows and be like, go crazy. There's video games over there. I will buy you candy. Yeah. Just run yeah. around and be a jerk. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I remember one time Josh was playing bass. Good show. Four or 500 people. He's playing bass here on the left side of the stage. Damon walks up to him and says something towards the middle of the set. This is not a quiet band, guys. (laughs) My nephew goes up and talks to Josh. They have a little chat. After the show, I go, Josh, what did Damon ask you? And he, and he says he wanted to know when the show would be over. The show yeah. would be over. That's <laughs> real right there. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, maybe I don't like that part of my family. Yeah. <laughs> no, you do. I mean, because he's got other things going. And, and, and those things to him are just absolutely as valuable he, and as, as moving for them. I just, as an 11-year-old boy, which I never got to be, but I can always assume. You would think this would be the perfect the, place. Right. Candy yeah. bars, video games, do whatever you want. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. But I got to say, I've spent the better part of 10 years traveling the world and playing venues of a variety of sizes because our band hasn't always been where we've been at. And we've played everything from like punk rock squats and communes in Germany and Switzerland oh, to larger nice. venues in Brazil. And I'm telling you, there really is no place like this that the people have their sort of relationship with this place like that. It, when it comes close, it's never at a venue that can facilitate the kind of bandwidth, like the dynamic that this place does, the spectrum. Like, like I was saying, like whether it's a band on the floor or it's a band on the yeah, stage with 10 people on a rainy night. Yeah. Or it's like a totally sold out show of an internationally famous act. It's like, this place has it all. You My know? favorite moment, going back to Gabe talking about finding new bands. I think it isn't when I'm playing, but it's, I just happened, excuse me, with Trebuchet when they were here the other Ooh. week. I, you yeah. know, I'm older now, so I'm having a drink at Volpe's and I'm trying to time it right to come back for the bands <laughs> when they start. Um, and you know, when you walk in and the band's already half a song in and you walk down this slope and it's like the best sound and it's on and you just it's like your heart starts beating faster as you walk down that slope and you walk up in and you and you join in yeah 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 (laughs) well that's an easy one to join in though that oh yeah yeah they make it really they're the soundtrack to the best day of your life basically yeah Yeah. (laughs) they really are not to mention the soundtrack to the uh uh, on stage (laughs) that's true that's true true. remember when the phoenix was going to close of which, course, you which do. time? Yeah. Well, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So that was oh, you were yeah. you were here that day, Steve. The Blockheads played that show. Which show is that? Um, it, it was like the last it show of the Phoenix, yeah. and it was an all day thing, and yeah. twenty bands yeah, played. It was a crazy day. Was this a somber day? This last. So uh, this was Phoenix yeah, concert? absolutely, and I had to play right, yeah. but I didn't have a band. But what I did have was a, a drinking problem and a country music fixation. So I developed this... Perfect combination. <laughs> I, Good combo. I developed this character named uh, Slipshod Johnny, and I had an invisible band. So I like waddled out onto the stage of the Phoenix Theater Drunk. with a bunch of gin in me and an acoustic guitar and a cowboy hat, and I said... How y'all doing, Phoenix Theater? My name's Slipshod Johnny, and this is my band, The Pack of Roving Drunks. I'm going to sing some songs for you. And I sang, like, uh, Dave Van Ronk songs, and I sang probably, like, dumb songs that I'd written with my country singer girlfriend <laughs> and everything. But um, the last song I sang uh, was called Shit on the Dog. And the, the <laughs> I like it already. So the song Shit on the Dog was about all the things that were going wrong in the world and how, you know, things just can't get any much worse than this, so you might as well shit on the dog. You know, it can't get any worse. And the last, uh, I wrote a special last verse for the closing of the Phoenix. It's like, the Phoenix is closing for good, even though nobody thinks that it should. I guess we'll go find another stage to hog. Everything is fucked. Shit on the dog. And then I said, God damn the uh, 
Cultural Heritage Board for not putting this place on the National Register of Historic Places. Shit on the dog. <laughs> and one more thing. God bless Tom Gaffey. Oh, Shit on, on the dog. dog. With a big old finish and everything. I had the crowd on the palm of my hand. Yeah, you they know. were cheering. <laughs> Talk about a cheap pop, great. you know. But my question is, why in the world is this place not on the National Register of Historic Places? For real. For real? Is that something uh, you and I need to start working on now, Tom? No. Um, it would make your life easier and harder and harder um we don't spend a lot of time really uh trying to be seen uh, all we want to do is serve uh and this is you know the phoenix is my best friend and and i actually uh was allowed in this place when i was in junior high yeah and fell in love with it uh right about where steve is sitting uh, looking that direction one afternoon and out to it, where the crowd would be and what you what you have to remember the phoenix is to serve and if i want to stay that's what i have to do um it's got to be open for everybody but it has to be open for everybody in such a way that we're not uh, you know it's just it's tough to explain we don't do it for recognition. We do it because that's what's supposed to be done. Yeah. And if you find yourself being too proud about such a thing, then maybe you're not the one that's supposed to be doing it because it's for everybody. And I, it's just really tough to explain, but I think... No, that's perfect. Fuck, Tom. You're so fucking legit, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's so legit. But that's, but that's what it's supposed to be. I love this building. I love everything about it as much as I complain. There are nights... There was... I can't remember what it was. There was one... Uh, the last couple of weeks, we had uh, we had a weekend that was the most incredible. We had uh, a punk reunion of the Lincolns, mm -hmm. and a bunch of that scene was in. And what was the night before? The night after was an incredible show. And I was so high from the whole experience. Just, wow, what a wonderful time it was. Yet, 24 hours after that, I'm going, what the fuck, man? I can't keep doing this. This place is driving me crazy. <laughs> then I have to, after about a half hour, I realize, what did you just say? I have to go find a quiet place and apologize to God because this is truly a gift. Yeah. And, and I have to respect it as the gift. And I am only here, and it is only here, and we are here to serve, and that's it. And that's where the high is. You know, I, you know I, I wish I could put it into better words, but as a matter of fact, I don't think we belong on a, on a, on a registry. Uh, I think as long as we keep our noses clean and do the best we can, I think we get to stay. As long as the doors are open for everybody. As a person who's pretty dorky about historical stuff since buying a, a very old house, my feelings on the matter are as long as, you know, it's like do no harm, you've done all the good. With buildings of this age and with this history... As long as it gets to stay doing its job in this one way, as long as possible, it's serving the most and gets to be, someday it may not get to be this, because honestly it takes a lot of energy from people like you, and, and you're, you're pretty much one of a kind, so it's going to be a hard one when we have to transition, but I mean, you look at a building that from a historical standpoint, I'm still looking at the bones of a building that's been this building this way. Yes, in this in this type of life yeah. for a very long time, and a lot of buildings this age don't get to say that. Yeah, well, and it, and this building is such a great soul. Yeah, and what I really appreciate was the way you said we are going to have to figure out how to transition. Thank well, you for that. That's how we feel. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and that's what we're hoping. And yes, the the Phoenix. I think it would be wonderful. It could continue to do this forever now because mm -hmm. that's what this building loves to do. And this building, you know, will certainly outlast me. No, I foresee but. this building hopefully long outlasting you yeah long outlasting and and remembering if, if it can stay the way it is yes. i see that happening remembering that it prefers to be everybody's building and that's mm -hmm. what it wants to be and that's what it needs to be i think so the we thing was absolutely perfect sarah well, thank I'm, you i'm very bossy like yeah, that that's good <laughs> it's required once once you let me on your team you can't get rid of oh, me yeah, yeah. Is it true that Houdini performed here? Yeah, uh, I I was told from the time I was a kid, yes, he did in 1914 or thereabouts. There's a historian trying to find the date now, and uh, it's tough to dig up. So we're gonna we're gonna run it down. The story has always been that yes, he did. Yeah. Um, Caruso in 06 performed here supposedly. Amazing. And we're looking to find the the uh, some kind of a bill. There was a great historian, Ed Mannion, who uh, he was, was awesome. Yeah, he really was, and he was, it was a local historian and, and really knew his stuff. And He was the first one to tell me about all of this. 
along mm. with Bill Sobranis. And yeah. uh, if those two, you know, said it to, to me when, when I was a kid and as a young adult, uh, it was that was it for me. Because it's a really big deal for me to be able to say that I've technically very loosely shared a stage with Yeah, with Houdini. Houdini. Yeah. Are you yeah. into Houdini? Yes. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. Well, Count Basie also. Count Basie. Count Basie. I saw Count Basie play here. Ray Charles played wow. here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. There was some 80s shows here. The band played here. The band played uh, here, Van yeah. Morrison played here. Van Morrison played here? Van Morrison, Morrison here. yeah. Neville Brothers. Um, Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. Of course, Santana. Yeah, yeah. It's there's it, This is an incredible stage. It really has been entertaining for an awful long time. Yeah. The Hill family built it. And do you know... What year did the Hill family build it? Well, they they started in 1899 and completed it and opened it uh, December 5th, uh, 1904. Wow. And do you know who was a member of the Hill family? I only know this because you've told the story before. Oh, yeah. on, Michael uh, Hill. Close, yeah, Mike Hill. Michael Hill. From and, Coffee and Donuts. Yeah, from Coffee and Donuts. Oh, yeah. well, They were like great. a jazzy... Jazzy, yeah. Uh, God, you know... Uh, I can't they were close. Them. He was doing the overhand reggae style drum. Yeah. yeah, they had the reggae rhythm going. He was on the they Jacks were, skateboard he team. He is Action Petaluma. Jacks. You bet. Mm. Yep. Um, they started skateboard hockey. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and his and it was his family that built this building, and uh, it was always a thrill to have him back in the building when he was in. Caruso performed in San Francisco. I assume was, the next he, night he was going to. Oh. Uh, he was supposed to perform the night the earthquake happened. So he was staying at the. Palace Hotel in yeah. San Francisco and the earthquake happened yep. and he came out on the street and he swore there on the spot yep. I will never come back to San Francisco yeah. again and he did not there's a oh. PS to that ah. when he died and they flew his body back home the plane laid over in San Francisco Son so the last laugh was on did. him okay he did <laughs> yes. make it to San Francisco holy cow but you know when you look at the history of how Petaluma has always worked as a second market this would have been a one off show for Caruso he would have caught the steamer up to Petaluma wow. probably stayed in one of the hotels did the gig stayed in one of the hotels and steamed back to San Francisco probably do the San Francisco gig which he never played so it's quite possible this could have been the last place that he played in this area I do want to say uh, a minute ago we were talking about the building and the legacy and the vision and, and what it is and I said something that after I said it I felt like a shitty thing and I just want to clarify <laughs> and that is I said the building will long outlast you well, I only said that in reference to a point you'd made a few minutes earlier which was your wish is that it continues to fulfill its oh, mission abso- oh no it that will didn't long outlast shitty. me that sounded no, realistic yeah. 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 That, that is mean, realistic yeah. yeah yeah what purpose of Absolutely. him putting all this work in if it couldn't oh yeah it's very Asian of you it's very Asian <laughs> yeah, <yeah>. comments <laughs> very <laughs> over the death and just be like after you're dead yeah, yeah. this will continue to <laughs> this will continue Sarah do you yeah, remember the line from those incessant bells what matters most what, in this in the life is a song that i recorded 10 years ago no you're gonna have to help me out with that <laughs> son of a gun but what matters not is how long you cling to life it's who you touch and what you leave behind that's pretty much what? every lyric that josh has been writing in reference to every death that's occurred i mean <laughs> re- <laughs> reference last record the new trust keep dreaming yeah but, that's true um yeah well and there was a song on the acoustic record about you know about logan that was oh. basically that, you know. Yeah. It, you do. You you put your effort in, and and you hope Boy. it stays. You know, for a young generation, you guys do have a lot of a lot of brothers and sisters that have passed. I I, I wow. used to think I was cursed, and <laughs> but now I realize that it is an indicator of living a larger life. Yeah. When you know a lot of people, and you love a lot of people, you're going to lose a few. And yes. um. I remember I was younger, I was 16 or 17, and I was working at the junior college, and I had lost my dad when I was 15, and a woman I worked with, I remember specifically, she was 48 years old, and she took me aside, she's like, I just think you're so strong, because you're, you're just dealing with this, okay, and to me, it was, you know, it's just standard issue at that point, having lost my dad, and you know, you wake up every day, and you've lost somebody, and it's just, it's a thing you do, and she says, because I have never lost anyone like that, and I said, what do you mean you've never like had anyone or like family die or anything 48 years old wow. and had never had a friend or a family member wow die yes. wow and so uh, that gets stuck in my head so many times and to me it isn't that i feel sorry for myself that i've lost so many people i feel sorry for her that she didn't live a big yeah. enough life that it's, makes a lot yeah, of sense it's yeah that's quite a statement and, and uh Boy, there's a lot of people living a very safe life around you. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, you put yourself out there. You meet a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to lose a few. But um, they do. They yeah. affect you, and that's what's important. Yeah. 
on that note i know I'm, and i must say i'm i'm prone to depressing people and that's why josh's lyrics have really taken a turn for the worst in the last few years but <laughs> but, but on the other note i do i do try to wake up every day and and uh i knew logan pretty well and uh, i don't think uh every he, he was not as much of a clown as everyone i think gives him credit for it he wasn't a cartoon Oh. But he was a person that looked at the at the world in a different way. Yeah, and um, he, so was, I, he I, wasn't a cartoon. He was just drawn that way. Exactly. But I I, I do try to um, you know take those lessons from people and um, try not to be as depressing. But uh, I don't think it's depressing. If, if you've lost people, it's not depressing. Yeah. Uh, in the moment, losing people is incredibly depressing. But moving forward, I mean, Tom, probably more than once a year, you lose someone close oh, to the yeah. building. Yeah. You know, and obviously, I know people at this. I don't know your story, but uh, Steve, but I know that everybody else at this table has lost people very close to them. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you just, it's unfortunate, but it gives you another uh, vantage point of life. And to your point earlier, Gabe, about falling asleep at the wheel and waking up and the pavement being a couple feet from your face, right. 60 miles an hour, it makes you look at things differently. Yeah. And it's like, well, I should probably start doing those things that I would like to do because I'm not going to have forever to do them. Exactly. Yeah. I keep thinking yeah. about those lyrics from that song and it, you know, it's not how long you're there, it's who you touch and what you leave behind. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the Phoenix Theater, you know, it's, we've talked about it maybe closing, oh, it's been here a long time, uh, Houdini and uh, yeah. Caruso and stuff. Think of the lives that oh, have been touched yes. by this place. Yeah, the people that oh, would come to me when I was life. a kid I mean, to tell me that. Tens yes. of hundreds of thousands of lives yes. have been touched in a positive way by yes. this place. And in that sense, I, I mean, personally, I owe this building a lot. At the end, my favorite thing to do at the end of the show when the lights come on, right before I walk through the front doors, is I get at the front of the stage here and I look up and I just kind of put my hands together and stare at the ceiling and give thanks thanks. for what this building has given to me. And when you extrapolate that across hundreds of thousands of people who have been here and have been moved in life. Yeah, because there are stories of people that have been moved by this place that uh, we've never met. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And again, when I was a little, that's what, that's really what kept, drew me back and made me want to, made me want to be here. Uh, were the stories I would get when I was a kid working here from a lot of my elders that would come through and say, oh my God, uh, you know, I spent so much of my life here and, and I love this place so much. Wow, really? And yeah. it was weird for a while. Then I'd hear, I was the only guy, I guess, that I'd hear all these great stories about Doc Nafee, but the stories about Doc Nafee were who coming. Used to, who used to run the building. He was the manager the at a much different era. Yeah, at a much different, uh, back in the 30s and 40s and, and into the 50s. And uh, people would tell such great stories of, uh, of him. Those were the people that were coming and watching the movies and using the building in that way. But... Apparently, he was a strict taskmaster with his employees, which I didn't find any of that out until I started talking to some of the people that that were actually employees of his. He was a tough guy to work for. But if you were part of the uh, community using the building, uh, you held him in such high esteem because he kept the building open for them and and made them all feel as if it were their building. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what everybody loved about him the most. And that's what I'd like the Phoenix to be. It's their building. It's everybody's building. And that's what it must be. I think that's what the building wants. Mm-hmm. That's, it's amazing. Yeah, Even if, if I didn't have this night, I would have probably come back one of these nights and been like, you probably don't remember me, but I just want to say oh. thanks for doing this because it's really awesome. You know, and it's all even the building. there's <laughs> thousands of people across Santa Rosa now that have nothing to do with music anymore. They have law, friends of mine that have law practices and families and everything like that. And they can definitely distinctly remember multiple nights spent here Whew. doing things and, you know, at the Phoenix. It's just amazing, uh, yeah. It's a and great isn't building. it isn't it nice that we just keep to get to keep getting to do those things, Steve? Yeah, I hope you do. Yeah, I'm, all, I'm all our friends they yeah. have yeah. families and lives and jobs. <laughs> I faked a life out of it, and, so uh, it's cool. <laughs> Way cool. Yeah. We who were truly blessed. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, I guess we'll all just keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> and, yeah, because um, it's what the building wants. Because it's Indeed. what the building it's wants. It's what the building wants. That's right. Um, and the building is saying, go home, you guys. <laughs> Shall we say goodnight to everybody? Good night, everybody. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. Awful lot of fun tonight. Yeah. No matter what stage I'm on around the world, I literally, sincerely, often think about the Phoenix Theater. Like, seriously. Uh-huh. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you to everybody who's listening. And thank you three for joining us tonight. And we really appreciate it. So good night, everybody.